Hello, hello. Welcome back to Project Black. We are so excited to be back. We're also even more excited because you probably haven't heard my voice in a while and you haven't heard Bree's voice in a while because we have been taking a break. And so we're back to really get things going. Special shouts to both Ryan and Dara for holding it down um, and for the previous episodes that you all have listened to. I'm going to stop talking because I definitely want to get into today's topic and introduce our special guests, both Anika and Suk. These humans are amazing. We all went to the same grad school. We've been seeing them do amazing things. So we're excited to share a bit more about who they are. But before we do, we love to do our check-in question as always. So Bri, I'm gonna kick it back to you so we can get into our check-in. Awesome, thank you. And yes, it is so wonderful to be back before you all today. I'm excited for this to keep going with our season two. And so for this month's episode, we recognize that it is May and um, that means it is Asian American and Pacific Islander month. So for our two guests, we would like to know what does this month mean to you and your family and community? I can go first. So I think it's an opportunity to really celebrate all of our diversity, which is especially important right now with the amount of like AAPI hate that's going on. Um, I remember kind of what it was like after September 11th for the Brown community. So to kind of circle back and have this month to really celebrate us is really important right now. I will echo what she said. I think it is a really important month to celebrate, but also I think it's a month to reflect that as a South Asian, we're not the only Asians, I guess you can say out there. And so for my family, it's been good because I've been telling them about all the Asian hate that's been happening, but not just towards Brown people, but like Asian Americans, other communities. So it's a very much a month of awareness as well. Dope, thank you. Thank you both for sharing that. And I think, um, so the first person we talked was Suk and then we had Anika just for our listeners. Um, And so we appreciate you both for like chiming in. We do recognize and we want to also hold space for what's happening around the world and, you know, say no to hate in all forms. And so um, with that being said, our episode today is really to that end, recognizing that your identities and what you both bring Um, to this conversation will reflect your racial and ethnic background, but also your lived experiences with mental health. And so we'll get to talking more about that, but we do want to kick it off with some introductions. So start off by telling us who you are, um, where you're from, just a little bit more about you. And we can start with Suk. Hey, so I'm Suk. I'm from Berkeley, California. I'm the child of immigrants. I'm a Punjabi sick woman living with bipolar disorder. Dope. Thank you for that. And yes, Anika. I'm Anika. Um, I'm also from California, but Los Angeles. Um, and I am a Pakistani Muslim woman. And I actually was born in Pakistan, Lahore. And I moved here with my mom when I was one. So technically, I don't know if that counts but I cannot be president, good thing I don't want to. And I um, also, as we know, went to public health, like the graduate school, but I went to BU for undergrad. So I've been in Boston for quite a while now. So it's like my second home and yeah, I'm excited to be here. That is great. First of all, shouts to y'all and the way y'all say, listen, I'm a lover for when folks say their identities or the countries that they're from or their parents are from in the way you say it because you know when we say our places in English is just not it's not the same thing so just yes pronunciations um I think it's a, a a good way to also just talk a bit about the work that you all are doing and so I mentioned earlier both Suk and Anika went to the same school as us and 
you know, earlier Brie asked the question around what does this month mean to you and your family? And while you all identify within that group, I think for us as co-hosts for Project Black, we talk a lot about solidarity, right? What does that look like? I know when a lot of it became mainstream awareness around anti-Asian hate, because we know we know that's not new, right? But it, it became part of the mainstream media. There was a lot of conversation around how do we support one another, right? And so this space means a lot right now in terms of thinking about what the solidarity look like. And so it's really important for us to highlight some of the awesome stuff that you all are doing. So Brie, I know you probably want to introduce because you shared a bit more about all the awesomeness Suk is doing. And then Anika, we're coming for you right after. Yes, thank you, Shouts, and thank you for saying that. Um, I'm so excited. We, I've known Suk, I think both Fatima and I have known you for a few years now, thanks to Darian, shouts to Darian for making dope connections. Um, and it's been so cool. We've talked a lot of on and about like, you know, medicine and just like your experiences um, in graduate school. And we are so excited to announce, some of you may have seen this, but um, Suk has been chosen by NAMI um, for their National Convention on Mental Health to um, share a presentation on what it means to grow up brown and bipolar and illness and identity. And so, um, Suk, we know that this is just one part of your identity and we'd just love to hear more about what your experience has been um, growing up as a brown woman living with a mental health condition and you describe it as doing so in a world that openly rejects you. So what has been your experience and what kind of work have you been doing around that? So yeah, it's definitely been tough. Um... The illness itself is very challenging, but I think navigating everything around it is also very difficult. Um, you know, I grew up in a really conservative family. I, I mentioned that I'm the child of immigrants. So there wasn't necessarily a conversation about mental health in my home when I started getting sick. And, um, you know, it's something that I think my family is still struggling with. It's We've gotten much better at having these conversations, especially because of my advocacy work. We've had to have these conversations, um, but it's a challenge. It's a deviation from everything that you know and everything that you believe. Um, it's also been difficult to find care. So 80% of mental health providers in this country are white, and I am obviously not white. And so to find someone who I can really like gel with and have a good experience with has been difficult and like going through therapist after therapist and like having to really struggle with what is my identity and like what part of this is my illness that needs to be treated and what part of this is me that needs to be looked at holistically. Um, which is where a lot of my advocacy work first began. I was really, really isolated when I was first diagnosed like there around me, like there were lots of white people that were talking about mental health. Granted, they were talking about depression and anxiety, not necessarily bipolar disorder, but they were, they were talking about it. There was no Asian person when I started out doing this work. Um, and so I kind of became the first person to like really put themselves out there in the sphere that I knew about and start having these conversations. And it was only then that I really started meeting other people from my community that had have also had these struggles that wanted you know, to also have these conversations. And it's been really great because community has sort of grown and grown and grown. And it's kind of culminated in me going to NAMI's national convention. And this is the largest gathering of mental health advocates in the US. So it'll be a huge platform and a huge step forward for the South Asian community. 
Thank you for sharing that. And that's so dope. And we appreciate you for, you know, um, sharing in your truth and, and, and this experience. And I know it's something that's still very present, something that you're still experiencing, right? This is something that you live with on a day-to-day basis. Can you talk more about what has been kind of the response? I know this is, you still haven't presented a NAMI. It has to happen in um, so it's it's upcoming, but you've been an advocate for a while. When you first started to talk about this and put yourself out there, what was the response like? Did you feel supported by your community or your family? I'm actually amazed at the amount of support that I've gotten. I would have never imagined any of this um, when I first started out. That Facebook post, um, for the viewers that haven't seen it, basically I had a coming out post where I very like openly for the first time told the world like, Hey, I have bipolar disorder and like, Hey, I'm doing this NAMI national convention was easily the most like terrifying thing I have ever posted on the internet. And I really thought people would be like, Oh, well this girl, like there's just something wrong with her. Like I don't necessarily want to associate with her anymore. Um, And I've never had a post. I've never had a post get that much engagement. And the amount of love that came from everyone in my life, people who I hadn't seen in like over a decade that reached out, family that I hadn't talked to in forever that reached out, just all of these people that I, you know, thought I had lost contact with still showing me all of this love and all of the people that I love now supporting me was really amazing. Um, Honestly, I think it was one of the greatest moments of my life. Yes, the support. We love that. Um, that's that's really refreshing to hear. I think part of the reason why we want to kind of have this conversation is we recognize in certain communities, and I've heard stories from other, you know, friends who are from the Asian or Pacific Islander community or um, Asian American who have talked about, you know, that this these type of conversations aren't necessarily prevalent in their families and within their communities. So to kind of change that narrative and to start the process of having more open discourse is really powerful and that you know you started that and you've you've gotten positive feedback has been really amazing so thank you for that um we will talk more about kind of some of your experiences but we're going to save that for a little bit later where we kind of do more of an open conversation with our other guests you and anika um but we do have one more question for you which is you do mention that you know bipolar disorder has torn your life in half but it has also made you a stronger kind of person and you say it is humbling to lose your mind and then work towards finding it again. Um, so that's a very powerful statement. I think Fatima and I both read and we were like, wow, this is something that, you know, is um, very, I think, poignant and, and really something that speaks to your experience. And so we wanted to just know um, at what point did that switch happen for you? And can you share more about why? So in 2017, I was at McLean Hospital. I was hospitalized for a month. Um, after rapidly cycling. And I had kind of basically lost my ability to do anything. Um, I couldn't start tasks. I I couldn't complete tasks. I had a lot of trouble, like just verbally, just like very basic cognitive stuff kind of eluded me. And that was really difficult for me because like, you know me and you know how much I love art and I love science. And suddenly all of that was gone. Like, I was living inside this mind that just didn't function anymore. And I remember being in the hospital and like really wanting to start something. And I started coloring in this um, mandala and it was 
the first thing that I had started on my own, you know, like the hospital hadn't been like, hey, let's do a project. Um, and it became the first thing that I completed. And it was the first step in my recovery because it was the first time that I took my life back and was like, hey, like, this is what I want to do. And like, I can do it. And I know it's really basic and it's coloring and it's not necessarily something that you associate with this like immense recovery that I've had, but it was the first foothold that I took. And I think that was, that was the moment where I started to take my mind back and where I started to grow and where I started to move towards the person that I am now. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's beautiful. I adore and, and support you. And I um, just so grateful that you can be here today. Um, lots more questions for you, but we do want to give our other guests a, a moment to briefly introduce the work that she's doing because we think it kind of ties in together before we, you know, ask more questions. Yeah, I'm sitting here like, woo, that, that's a lot. Um, thank you, right? We talk a lot about storytelling, Souk, and the power in storytelling. And those of us who witness, there's something about having a window, obviously not a mirror, because no one, we can't sit here and be like, I know exactly what you're talking about, right? But it's the fact that you even felt comfortable sharing. I want to appreciate that and hold space for that. Um, because that's also a lot where you sometimes have to take a step back and revisit that moment and how powerful that moment was. Um, to think about what you said, like, oh, that was basic. Sometimes the basic things, the little things are the things that can be a catalyst for a lot. Um, and so appreciate you sharing that story with us again. You guys have um, to come to my presentation. <laughs> yes. Yes, it, it, it's it virtual? virtual. Yeah, it is virtual. It's yeah. virtual. Do for would sure. you be okay with us sharing it with folks who are listening to this? Yeah, I can. Or do you want it to be more intimate? No, I can totally send you all the information. Awesome. So those of y'all who are listening, Sook is gonna drop that link, and you know, um, we're happy to just share what we read in that article that Brie was referencing. Um, but to also just be there in solidar solidarity with you and support you and love up on you virtually. Like, as long as I'm not working, listen, I'll be right there. Even if I am working, I'll have two screens um, being there for sure. Um, all right. Thanks again, Sue. We're, we're going to hear more about you. We, we, we got you. Um, Anika, I want to pass the mic, yeah. Yes, we're passing the mic. Anika, hopefully you caught it. You're ready. Um, yeah, Anika and I have been pretty close. We were in class together. Anika was a year ahead of me. Um, and then I was TAing in a class. And we didn't really talk that much um, until one day we were both at the mosque together. And I was like, oh, Anika, you're Muslim. Cool. <laughs> and I think you probably asked me the same question. I don't remember. But we were both observing Ramadan. And I was like, cool, let's hang out. And from there, we've been super close. And I've learned so much about Anika and all the awesomeness that she's doing. I always see Anika posting on social media or she's texting me and always has an amazing mind um, to not just figure out how to support herself, but how to support others. And so I want us to talk about what that might look like um, as we, we've known each other, talking about the personal struggle with mental health. So first, let's talk about Flourish Easy. Because before we even get into like Islam and mental health and all that, I want the folks to know what Flourish Easy is. So talk about that and what that means to you as it relates to addressing mental health in your community. 
Well, thank you for that beautiful intro. And I did definitely ask if you're, I didn't know you were Muslim until we met at the mosque. So it was a really cool moment. Um, so Flourish Easy, actually, I'll tell you the background behind that. So I personally have a chronic illness and sometimes I flare up as with many people with chronic illnesses do. And this was around the time of all the BLM like protests and stuff. And I really wanted to go, but I was flaring and I couldn't go and I didn't know what to do. And I, I've always had my own journey with mental health and I started a fundraiser through a group. Um, wow, I'm blanking on the name, Loveland Foundation. And I posted it on my story, started a fundraiser and like shared my journey a bit on there. And I got really good, just like reactions and people supporting it. And opening up that I go to therapy was kind of something that triggered Flourish Easy is because I had friends then reach out to me and say, I know that you go to therapy and I want to start. I don't know what to do. How do I start this process? And I had multiple people coming to me and it kind of dawned on me that there is no central resource for people of color or even in general of navigating therapy because it's very daunting if you don't know what it's supposed to be like, what happens. Like I've been to therapy, so I know how to navigate it. And so I started helping my friends. And through that, I kind of was like, let me start something on my own and like get people excited about going to therapy and not overwhelmed by the process. And I also work in patient experience at Boston Children's Hospital. So a lot of the work we do is like human-centered design. So we put the patient's or the client's needs first. And I wanted to have that approach with therapy. How do I put people of color at the front and center and make sure I listen to what they're struggling with and help them with that? And so that's where Flourish Easy came in. So I did like, I designed a survey and got people's experience like patient experience, I guess you could say, um, learned about their experiences, did interviews with a bunch of people. A lot of, I call it marketing, maybe it's advocacy. I've learned it's very tiresome, but important. I wanna hire an intern. So if anyone who is listening, who's a viewer, wants to intern with me, I will buy you a cup of coffee every week. And through that work, it's been really fun. So I just did a design session like a month ago now where I had a, few like people of color come together. We talk through the journey of going to therapy and mapped out every step. And so that should be coming sometime this week. So be on the lookout. I have a website and Instagram page for this. And that is Flourish Easy. And my goal with this is to help people flourish their mind and kind of do what they need to do to get the help they need without it being burdensome. Because when you're already struggling, you don't want another task added onto your plate. Yeah, for sure. I know you talked a bit about, you know, some your chronic health and also talking about, you know, mental health. And we'll talk more about that because I can only imagine those two coming together. Um, it's a lot. And we've had personal conversations with that as well. And before we dive into that, you know, you've done so much within the time that you started Flourish Easy. But even before you started Flourish Easy, in my opinion, I think that you've always been in the space to like ask questions and figure out like what's happening with people, right? And, and how do we have similarities? How can we form community? So what's been some of the highs and lows in having these conversations with family members and friends, right? So it sounds like there's a lot of highs, but I'm sure probably there's been some moments of, of struggle. Maybe not, but I, I'm curious to learn what, what, what has that been like for you? So I think the highs obviously is like I can help support my friends who are going to therapy and or want to start the process and I will get with you on a zoom and find therapists with you. But the lows is that my family still doesn't understand what anxiety is what depression is my mom's like you think too much and I'm like no way isn't that what anxiety is you're in your head so much. 
and they don't understand it still. And I think another low is when you share your journey with people and your struggles, they will often then vent to you, right? And you are holding that space for them. But if you're already drained of your own battery, of your own mental health, it drains you even more. And it can be a trigger. Like some conversations that people think they can have with me pull me down even more than lift me up. But I want to be there for people in their lows. But when you're in a low, it's hard to be with people at that point too. Yeah, that's real. And I know, Suki, you mentioned a bit about this earlier, but something that we talk about a lot as co-hosts, even though we're all from different communities in terms of the Black diaspora, it's a very similar thing, right? So this is not just unique to your communities, but communities of color in general, like the ways that we communicate. And I don't only want to put that stigma on us. I also know that when we talk about mental health and psychology in general, it is a, a one of the newest fields in terms of just understanding the human mind. Like, Folks are still even understanding what this individual ther- therapy look like, what this collective therapy look like for who, what community. And I think we continue to learn so much. And one of the conversations we've had in the past is bringing it back to also religion, right? So we're highlighting uh, about our racial and eth- background in this episode, but also there are other layers to this. And as Muslims, I know we've had conversations about how we can be both helpful and sometimes harmful, depending on what we're told or how we're told to deal about our issues, which you sort of mentioned earlier, Anika, but I, I wanted to focus a bit about on religion because I know that's been, we both have ebbs and flows, but I, I think it will be helpful if you can talk a bit more about what that journey has been like for you. Yeah, I think this is where it gets tricky because religion, in Islam, they teach you like, or God kind of says like he, how you view him is how you're gonna view religion, right? So I think for me, there was a moment where I didn't understand why this was happening to me and I kind of blamed God. I was like, why me? Why is this happening to me? I've only learned that it's made me stronger, but I think something I've noticed is when you tell Muslims that you are going through something, they will just tell you to pray or read the Quran, which I understand that's part of the prop, like the piece of healing but also going to seek the help is not a bad thing. I always thought that maybe I shouldn't go to therapy and that there's something wrong with me. I'm just not religious. I have weak faith in this and like, I shouldn't be doing this. And especially when you're depressed, I never wanted to get up and pray. Like I felt like a bad Muslim because I just had no motivation to pray. I've learned that like Islam is not as strict as they say, right? God is merciful. God is forgiving. God will understand you're going through this. And I think for me, Putting my trust in God has really eased my anxiety because I used to overthink everything and say, what if I could have done this or what if I could have done that? And learning Islam in my own journey of it has been so helpful. And the biggest things I've taken away from this is that God has created us to have weak moments, things we struggle with, but he's also created ways of healing and going to a therapist for Muslims could be seen as a vessel of God, of he's choosing you to heal through this person. And so you should seek that help. And God even says he won't change a condition of a person until they change themselves. So I can't sit there and say, I'm depressed and I'm sad and I'm praying, but nothing's happening. You have to put in the work. Going to therapy and going to just like even talking about it is effort. And I think Muslims often don't do that because they just think that, oh, well, if you talk about it, it's going to make you sound like a weak Muslim or like you don't have this belief in God. No, that's kind of the opposite. You talking about it shows that you believe in God and that he doesn't create us as being perfect human beings. 
but this has taken me years to get to this point, right? Like when I first started dealing with all of this stuff, I wasn't even as religious as I am now because I kind of turned myself away because I was like, I can only focus on just trying to get better. And I didn't see that spirituality was a piece of this puzzle. Mm. Thinking about how many people could probably relate or what it would mean for folks to hear this. Um, as we talk about mental health and we talk about our communities and we talk about our religions, because a lot of times we think about various things as tools, right? And so it really depends on what you do with the tool. And what I'm hearing is that for a moment, Islam looked different for you as that tool. And now it's looking different for you in terms of your healing and, and how you're interpreting it. And the first thing you started off just powerful, at least, you know, hearing that is saying, how I view whatever the spiritual being is has a lot to do with how I then practice whatever spirituality or whatever religion that I'm part of. And I don't always think that happens, right? Because it's like, do it this way. And this is the only way. And part of religion is also connected to culture. So how we grew up or how people interpret their religion as we're kids, they sort of pass that pass that down to us and then we interpret it that way moving forward so it makes sense that you're your own adult now and figuring all the things out right uh, I appreciate you sharing that I think now's a, a awesome time for us to sort of open up the next question to both of you Anika and Suk in public health we oftentimes talk about mental health that's all over I don't even was that part of your certificates at any of you Anika I don't think you did right Suk no. okay that was one of Nope. Okay. Suk is raising her hand for folks who can't see. Uh, so I know that was your certificate. So maybe we can start with you, um, Suk. What has been both of your experiences navigating the health system to get mental health care, especially in academia? Wow. Grad school was such a difficult time for me. Um, something that I think about a lot is how most of my degree was done like behind hospital walls, either like going to outpatient um, visits or like when I was inpatient. Um, and I think, I think academia is a tough place that doesn't necessarily welcome any kind of quote unquote weakness. And so while the professors that I had at BU were phenomenal and accommodating and supportive, the system itself was not, it's just not built for people with disabilities. And so I, I had a really hard time. You know, as you name that, probably something we can think about later is thinking about how academia could change, right? Because like, how can we be a public health institution and not center supporting students if and when they need support, especially as it relates to mental health? Anika, what about you? So when I, like, I didn't focus that much on mental health, right, when I was in, in my grad program itself. But I, it was a tricky situation because when I was in grad school, um, for those of you who don't know, I was struggling with anorexia, still am recovering, but at that time it was the worst of the worst. So when I started having more gut issues is what I deal with. And I would go to BU Student Health Services and they straight up told me that you need to go to an eating disorder like hospital and go into a program and you shouldn't be in school. And I, being a stubborn person, was like, no, I'm going to do this on my own. Like, I refuse, and I'm going to still stay in school. I'm not going to stop the program. And so they weren't as helpful in terms of like, okay, if I didn't want to go, what were my other options, right? And so I had to kind of do this on my own and find a therapist, find myself a nutritionist and a doctor. And so 
a lot of the burden was on me and I didn't necessarily want to do this because I was good with not healing and not recovering, but I knew that they would have like followed up and asked me more about this. So it was unfortunate that I had to do this on my own because another problem with student health services is an undergrad, I went there for therapy. They're not the best in my opinion. And you don't, you can only go for two to three sessions. It's not something that you go for long-term. So it's not really beneficial at that point, I guess. If, and like I went and they told me to go somewhere else and I didn't ever go like back then. And so I agree with like Suk in the sense that a lot of my schoolwork was done at doctor's visits. I was, I had to go to the nutritionist every week. I had to go to therapy every week. I had to go to my doctors every week and to get a blind weight and check my blood tests and make sure I was actually healing in that sense. But school knew nothing about this. Like none of my professors knew because I didn't want it to affect my work because I do think they would look down on you, right? They're gonna say, well, this person, maybe they shouldn't be in class. And I was so scared of like getting suspended for some reason. Like I thought that was gonna happen to me. So I never told people. So school was not necessarily supportive. Wow, thank you. And I, I yeah, definitely wanna just hold space for, and to honor the journey that you both have gone through and y'all are still here. Y'all both graduated, you did it. So congrats to you with like, oh yes, Let's pump the roof a little bit because with all of those challenges and with all those layers of just like difficulty that you had to kind of face and climb through, like you did it. So we do want to just honor that really quickly. Um, I I was thinking about what Fatima was saying about like we shifted the kind of the conversation from like we know it was probably a really rough um, experience and it definitely was something that was not fair to you both. Um, and I guess what I'm thinking of, what would the, what would it have looked like if the faculty or, you know, admin could have been supportive? Like, what could they have done to be supportive of you throughout your journey, both, you know, your academic careers, but also your mental health journey or just your health journey, Anika, um, for things that you might have needed while a student? I, that's a difficult question because I'm not sure because at the time, I wasn't necessarily one to want to heal. So I feel like if, professors had tried to help me, I would then lash out at them and say they're wrong. Um, but I wish I did feel like they would at least open up that if you're going through something, they can be there for me, like uh, offer extra time to complete an assignment if I have to go to the doctor often. Like I wish there was more open conversations from the front that professors could have telling students, if you're dealing with a health issue, if you're dealing with a mental health issue, come talk to me and we can talk about adjustments to make because I never knew that was an option. Just go up and tell them. I never really told my counselor either that I was going through this stuff, but I wish that they had asked what else is happening outside of school. No one ever asked that. They just think about school the entire time, but so many factors affect your schoolwork itself. That's so true. Yeah, right. We bring all these things, like all these identities. Um, I think we talked about being first generation college students and the layers that come with that identity um, and then being immigrant women and working hard because right, you're a first generation and you want to, you know, prove things to your family or do things for your community like that's hard work. Um, Soup, what would it have looked like for you if the, the school would have been more supportive? you kind of just dropped in, you were like, it was hard, that's it. But like, what could have, what could they have done? Like for those who are coming behind you, like what can we drop a word to our, you know, favorite institutions? Like y'all need to think about this. I think asynchronous learning is really the way to go if you're talking about disabilities like this. Um, I think the, was it called like learn from anywhere or something that they did for the pandemic? 
I think a system like that, where you have recordings that are accessible throughout the semester and where you have the option to attend classes virtually can make a huge difference. Like I missed a lot of class time because I was sick and that's class time I'll never get back. But if there had been recordings, like my undergrad institution offered recordings and I did really well there. So I don't see why BU can't continue this. Um, they have the infrastructure, which they've demonstrated. So I think it would be a huge boon to all the students or all students and especially disabled students moving forward. That's real. Listen, COVID has exposed a lot of like injustice, but it's also made people like, I think, adjust to this new way of learning in the 21st century, which is remote works. Like we upset because we're in medical school and they're making us go back on campus, but we're like, we've proved that we can do virtual learning just fine and get all the, you know, the teaks that y'all need us to get. So I agree. I think as we move forward beyond COVID, at least in Texas, we're starting to open up more and be more in person um, and in places in Boston or across the country, BU, we talking to you as you start to plan your fall semester, like, yeah, those type of, um, programs, the type of kind of flexed or hybrid learning that was made available during COVID, like keep investing in that. Um, because that's something that I think, yeah, multiple students from diff who are, are probably all facing unique challenges can really benefit from. I think that moves us into this next question of how do we env envision moving conversations about mental health from privately to more public discussions, right? So you can think about this from not just I know we talked a bit about academia, but also in the work that you're doing and then also thinking about our communities, right? Um, there are a lot of similarities that I'm hearing, um, even as someone who's a child of immigrants and my my parents coming from Sierra Leone, West Africa, like there's already a lot of pressure because it's like, we came here for you. <laughs> it's always about you. So you need to like be a billionaire. Like there's no other option, right? And so not only do you have the stressors that, come in a capitalistic society, right? Um, and not only would you probably your struggling with other mental health issues and chronic health issues that you've both highlighted, but now you're also dealing with just some some familial, you know, family pressures. And so I'm interested to hear what y'all are thinking about how do we open these conversations and normalize having these conversations? I can go ahead and start. Um, I am under the belief, though, that my parents will never understand this, so I kind of have stopped pushing it. I will openly talk to them about it, and I've told them openly I go to therapy. Like, they know I go to therapy, but to them, when I told them about my anorexia, they're like, oh, it's something you have to do with all your life. It's like the, something that they don't understand is just, it will be. Like, it actually will be something I deal with all my life. I will have those thoughts that trigger me. But I think the more I tell them, like something that's helped is telling my mom, people she knows go to therapy. Even her like friend, like my friend's mom who's friends with my mom goes to therapy. And telling her these stories helps her understand that it's something that's normal and you're not alone in doing that. And I think something that also helps is sharing our own stories, right? Even right now, this is part of the solution. I just recently posted my own chronic illness journey on this page called Chronically Brown. And they talk about having a chronic illness within the South Asian community. And like, I think those type of storytellings is what's really important and telling people that it's okay to go to therapy, that you're not alone. There's nothing wrong with you like in terms of you're not mentally insane, right? There, you need to go to grow and heal. And 
I also always bring in therapy and conversations. Even when I'm dating, I will start talking about therapy and be like, sir, do you go to therapy? No, come follow Flourish Easy and I'll help you. And so I talk to my sisters. I tell them I'm depressed. I tell them I'm anxious. I call them when I have an anxiety attack, a panic attack. I want them to know what it's like for people who have a mental health illness because they not they don't suffer with it now, but they could. I didn't at that age. And I want to normalize it. So I will openly tell them. They may think I'm crazy, but I think that's part of the solution is being as honest as you want and are comfortable with. I'm pretty comfortable with many things. So like, I'm okay with this, but I think having these public spaces, like giving people the opportunity to share even a tiny bit of their stories so you're seen and heard really makes a difference. Like for me, seeing brown people talk about their eating disorder, like I had a friend in college who openly shared it. And that is one of the key things that helped me heal. I was like, I'm not the only person going through this. So making sure people don't feel alone in this process, I think is the answer. Maybe I didn't answer your question directly, but that's where I'm getting at. No, you are on it, right? Um, and before Suk, you you jump in, I wanted to highlight a few things because like beautifully said in terms of what it means to just normalize it. I think honestly, when folks started normalizing it and being like, yo, this is and normal, right? What does that even mean? That's in air quotes. But the things that we once thought were normal and then everything else that we said wasn't normal, there was an other rising that was taking place. And so even those of us who might be struggling in any way, shape or form, if it doesn't fit in this perfect package of perfectionism, which is impossible, we it's hard, right? And something else I wanted to name is this whole idea of even the term crazy. Like we can unpack that a little bit more when we're using that terminology. And, and what I hear you saying is like, that's how folks would, would see it. But even that term, we're like, there are folks who like have taken that term back and being like, yeah, I'm crazy and I'm getting help for it. Right. Or I'm getting that support, but also the stigma that goes around it. Right. That you talked about. If I name these certain things, folks are going to look at me sideways and label me as this. And then what does that label even mean? It goes back to the stigma around what we consider normal mental health. Again, these are in air quotes, folks, and what we don't. Well, to that point, I was always very nervous to share my own journey with depression, anxiety, anorexia, because mm -hmm. I didn't want to be labeled as that anorexic girl or mm -hmm. that anxious girl. It's really the conversation needs to be the girl who is living with anorexia, mm -hmm. who is living with depression. It is not my identity. It is something that affects me, but not who I am, right? And making sure people understand that and having that be more of the conversation. I think it's amazing it's being talked about more. My friends and I will share tips we learned from our therapist. And I'm like, oh, I should read that book that you told me about. And I want that to be like, Instagram is great because I know many people are sharing things. I just don't want, the tricky thing is then people start to think, oh, I follow all these Instagram posts. I'm going to therapy. I'm like, no, that's not therapy. Um, so there's a fine line, right? About like, what is self-help versus when do you really need to go to a professional? But I think these platforms and like, norm, like, Yes, taking back that title of being crazy is good, but that's what is even crazy, right? What is normal? What is crazy? Like, I don't know. To me, normal is you're boring. So I like being crazy. No, I appreciate you saying that, giving a disclaimer, being like, yeah, social media, there's a lot of helpful stuff out there. And that's not like the only source to, if you need support. So thank you. Sue, what are your thoughts? Gosh, I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that because I agree with all of it. Um, and there's not really that much more for me to add on. 
Like the part that like I absolutely love that you talked about is storytelling. Um, and stories are so powerful and that's how, it's how we learn, that's how we share, it's how we grow and it's how we communicate. And I think the more spaces that will provide a platform for people to tell their stories, the more we can really normalize this conversation. Um, I do think uh, one thing that came to mind, which may be like a little bit random is we did an intervention at a temple where we actually like went in with, um, we went in with a psychiatrist and we kind of talked about the scripture and we talked about mental health and we talked about how those two things um, have union and meeting people where they are in novel ways like that is also a really cool way to do it. And you talked a lot about religion at the beginning of the podcast. And I think a lot of that um, is grounds for really good work if you want to explore it. Yeah, Sue, look at you. You didn't have anything to add. Let me tell you, you just dropped bars because you just gave a perfect segue. This piece where you said meeting people where they're at is so powerful because as we're thinking about what's happening around the world, like how do you have these conversations? Some of us, we have tools that our parents didn't have. And not to say they didn't have any tools. I want to be clear because the things they passed down to us, some of them have been very supportive and, and foundational to who we are now. And the hope and, and is to, for us to always evolve and pass that on to, if we plan to pass that on to whoever is around us. And so that brings us to this piece around what's happening around the world, right? There is a lot of survivor's guilt as someone who lives in the U.S. and hearing stories about what's happening in India, Palestine, Syria. Honestly, I could probably just keep going down the list. Like in every continent, there's probably a, a country that's struggling, especially those of us who come from, I'm not going to even use that term. Let me think of a better term that come from countries that have been colonized because they're not developing <laughs> and they ain't poor because we got a lot of soul richness there. Right. Um, but what has that been like for you and how do you reconcile that guilt if you felt that guilt at all? Uh, my psychiatrist straight up told me to stop watching the news. Um, she was just like, there's no point. You're already stressed out. Like it's bad. Like get your news from like a friend. And so I've been doing that and it's, it's been really good for my mental health. Like I'm not necessarily in a great space, which is why I'm consuming media in that way. Um, but normally like I'm really on top of the news and I read a bunch of stuff from a bunch of different outlets but sometimes it's too much. And sometimes you really do need to like take a step back because when everything happened in Delhi, it like broke my heart or when not everything that happened in India, I should correct myself there because my family's in Delhi. So they're in the epicenter of it and they all tried to fly out, but Biden did the travel ban. So it was really scary. And really there was a feeling of like immense helplessness, knowing that like my family was trapped in Delhi and my grandma stuck there and so taking a step back from the news and just taking that time to like center myself with my family was really helpful. I think for me, there is some like guilt, right? Because I'm sitting here in this privileged apartment of mine. And like, I sometimes feel guilt that I complain that I have these like health issues when there's people out there dying and there's people who don't even have food. And I'm like, I can't eat gluten. Oh my God. And so I think for me, Sorry, I'm also a stand-up comedian, so I'm like trying to put in jokes in this. But anyways, um, but one thing I will have to say is that I've actually seen this difference in 
healing from my anxiety and from my anorexia has actually allowed me to have mental space to care about these issues because for so long I cared so much about myself and only about how much food can I eat will this event make me anxious and now I don't have that I have that brain space to think about other people and yes it's really hard to have that news and it does feel like I feel helpless but I think it also makes me more compassionate empathetic and I have tried to use what I can do to help raise awareness like social media I do artwork so I've made artwork to help raise awareness about what's happening in Palestine and like that mental space is now just amazing and I think I've shared my journey around that on social media as well so I do feel the guilt but I do also feel like I am putting myself out there and I've seen people tell me or people have told me that it's really helpful so I think you can feel the guilt but I only feel the guilt if I don't do anything about it. So I think my thing is then, what am I gonna do about this? Like, I can go to the protest, so what could I do? I started a fundraiser. I've been going to protest for this now. And so I think that's how I cope with it. Souk, Anika, thank you, thank you. We're gonna close out soon, but you know, as you all are talking, you're also highlighting a few things that you enjoy or have been doing and so before we share some resources with folks from you all what are those things that are bringing you joy what are those things that are lifting your spirits up what 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 are they and what have they looked like have they evolved over time especially with the pandemic I know I've been geeking out on new things that I never thought I would geek out on I'm so interested to to hear that well before the pandemic for me was stand-up comedy um, I would like do stuff and go out and things, but I also did watercolor and that's really helped me. And I think during this pandemic, I've done that more so, but I've shifted that cause like I get lazy. So I've done more digital art and like work on my iPad. So I think that's been a really cool like way to engage with people and like it's helped me grow spiritually and it's helped me grow mentally. So it's something I enjoy. Um, and if you know me, you know, I can talk a storm off. So like phone calls have been my new favorite thing, like walk and phone call. I've been walking a lot, like seven miles. And I'm also on the phone the entire time because it's really fun. So I never walked this much in my life before, but pandemic, what am I going to do with myself? Walk. So. I love that Anika brought up stand-up comedy because I'm also a stand-up comedian. Um, and <laughs> I miss it so much. Like my uh, open mic night is virtual now, but I haven't done any virtual stand-up because it just feels really sad. But other than that, like I really got into swimming during the pandemic. It was like one of the like one maskless activity that I could do. And I was just like fell in love with it. Well, I fell in love with it again. I hadn't swam in a while. And I've been spending a lot of time with my cat who is a precious baby angel and she's asleep right now. But um yeah, that's that's it for me. So much love for the cat. So much love for swimming. So much love for stand-up comedy. Uh, we thank y'all. Thank y'all for sharing that. Um, y'all both kind of touched on a couple of things that, you know, that can support people who might be dealing with some of your similar issues, you know, related to chronic health issues or even, um, you know, some of the mental health issues that we've talked about. So therapy, that was, everybody's put a plug out for therapy. I love my counselor. I love my therapist. I think everyone should have a therapist. Um, so that's one thing that we know people like, and, and also making that distinction, like, you know, Instagram therapy is not 
therapy. Um, actually see a therapist and you can look at Flourish Easy if you need some support for that, um, plug for that as well. But what other kind of tips or resources do you recommend for someone who is currently, you know, facing some of the struggles that you've had, um, whether it be your chronic health con um, concerns or whether it be your mental health concerns, um, some of the things you might be facing in academia, what's your favorite podcast, what's your favorite Instagram, like, pages like just throw out some things that you know the people can relate to or find helpful I think journaling is probably I think one of the most grounding things you can do and I think people think it's kind of like a tough daily thing that you have to do but for me my journal is kind of like my home and it's full of scribbles and drawings and like little notes and I think getting into that is a really good it's a good start to maintaining your mental health on that note meditation plug for that. I think it's great. Um, but I think other platforms that are helpful, like social media, like Brown Girl Therapy, they're South Asian therapists, like those are good pages I follow. Also, if you're on LinkedIn, I think one of the most helpful things, because I'm interested in mental health, but there's a lot of startups like Talkspace, Ginger, BetterHelp. If you follow them, and NAMI even on LinkedIn, you'll see their articles pop up and you'll be able to read and like kind of get more resources that way. Um, and if you're dealing, like this is a plug for people with chronic illness, but I think there's a lot of support on Instagram if you have a chronic illness. There's a lot of pages around chronic illness. Chronic illness humor also I find hilarious because then you like know what it's like, you know? But there's also um, Slack. So there's like Slacks out there for people with different chronic illnesses, even mental health. So you can join those. like. Facebook group. There's a lot of creative ways to like get a community online. Obviously it doesn't replace therapy, but you know, having that emotional support is helpful. And if you know you're dealing with something, I would say reach out to a close friend that you know, and they can help you in this process. Like I've helped people walk their hand through this process and it's helpful to have a buddy versus doing it alone. And even if you're comfortable with your parents, like whoever you're most comfortable with, tell someone because it'll feel better to tell someone versus holding it in. And if you're scared to go to a therapist, even go to your PCP and tell them and they can refer you to someone. Thank you. Thank you. That's dope. I'm taking notes with people. Y'all hear that? Um, you know, those are a couple of, of different sites that you can follow or reach out to. Slack, if for those, I'm learning, that's like group me, right? It's like a group me. Kind of. It's like a virtual space. Like, it's like, yeah, a virtual space. It's a little difficult to handle. People use it for businesses mostly, but um side note, I back in August thought I had COVID, you know, whatever. I had this whole journey and I um, joined a long haul COVID support group. It has been so helpful because people deal with chronic illnesses there. So I've been using resources. And so like knowing that space exists has been so nice for me. Reddit also. I don't have COVID. It's okay, guys. If any of my friends are listening, I truly believe that I don't have it. This was back in the day when my anxiety was high. Listen, anxiety has been high for all of us. No need to, no, no need for no disclaimer because we feel you. I'm about to look it up right now, actually, just for mental health reasons. I want to thank y'all. While we're on the topic, though, if you want to shout out your social medias or where the people can find you, this is might feel it feels like a good moment since you both are advocates. You both are doing the work, so let the people know where they can find you, and then Fatima will let you say your closing words, and we'll do the closeout. Sure. Um, you guys can find me at Aniks A N I Q S on social media. Also, Flourish Easy. Those are my two main handles. And flourisheasy.com. 
Y'all can find me at Real Sukmani B on Twitter. Yes, it is a play on Real Donald Trump. Uh, yeah, that's me. Just Twitter. And we're going to be looking for the link for your NAMI presentation. For the yes, ma'am. So we're grateful for you both sharing space. Fatima, anything you want to say? Anika, y'all have been awesome. And so thank you both for being vulnerable, for being open to sharing your stories and sharing some resources and tips with us. I know that often when we talk about this, we like to say that obviously those of you who are witnessing or listening, however you're showing up to this podcast episode, we like to say, find out what this looks like for you as it relates to mental health to your providers, right? We are not professionals. We're not here to tell you how to deal with the various issues that you might be facing, but really just thinking about what this might look like as you reflect, not just individually, but also collectively. So that's about it. Bri, I'm gonna pass it back to you so we can close out. Yes, thank you. And I just want to echo Fatima. Thank you, Anika. Thank you, Sue, for sharing your story um, and for, for, you know, taking the moment to relive some of these things, right? We know it's not necessarily easy conversation to have, but we appreciate you coming on and sharing some feedback to our listeners. And we're so grateful to know you both. Um, Y'all were the first people that came to mind when we were thinking about a conversation around mental health and then also around Asian and Pacific Island Health Month. So this was Islander Health Month. So yeah, we're so grateful to know you and to witness everything you're going to continue to do in your communities is so awesome to witness. And um, we like to do this thing here, Project Black. Whenever we have guests on the show, we will give them a prompt and they have to finish the kind of statement um, with the first thing that comes into your mind. So you don't get a lot of time to think about it. It's just kind of a little quick on the spot. <laughs> What's the first thing that comes to your mind after I read these phrases? And so are you both ready? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, how this will work is um, I will say the phrase and then Anika, you can say the first thing that comes to mind and then Suk, you can follow up with that. And all right, we, here we go. So if I were to build something right now, it would be a house, a strong community. Amen. A more loving world looks like more empathy for others. Spaces full of storytelling. I believe everyone should have access to therapy and health services. Mental health care. Yes. One way I can show community care is through reaching out to my friends on the daily basis. Continuing to advocate for the people that I care about. Love it. And then finally, without knowledge. Without knowledge. <laughs> Sorry, I just got so caught off guard. Um, without knowledge, there is no action. Yeah, I'd echo that. There is nothing. There is nothing. Y'all heard it first. Y'all heard it here. Thank y'all for participating and being such lovely guests. We appreciate you both. And yeah, that wraps up this episode. We will be following up with their bios so you can get to know these wonderful ladies and follow their um, social media accounts. Anything y'all want to say before we jump off? Thank you for just having us on here and just like being allowing me to share my story i think you guys are doing great work and this has just been a wonderful conversation so thank you for all the hard work you guys are doing yeah thank you guys so much i have so much gratitude for everything that you're doing here and i'm so humbled that you chose us to be here with you today
all the feels don't make me cry y'all you know? right all the feels literally when y'all were closing out i was laughing so i'm so glad i was on mute because i'm like no these are hard if i was on the other end i'd be sitting here being like i don't know what to say so shout to y'all for doing that really quickly appreciate your time today yeah doing it quickly but also dropping gems so yeah i wouldn't expect nothing less from you though Ah, that oh Brie, that's that's the way to end it. <laughs> yes. All right. Are we blackout? Blackout. <laughs>